Open your Bibles to Luke, 22nd chapter. Dr. Luke. We're going to look at verses 31 through 34. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I pray for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest Father, again, need is you. You said without you we can do nothing. We know you've given us the Holy Spirit to work in us, through us. We know that we need to feed on your word to learn from it to make application of what it what it teaches us we know that there are commands in your word that we must follow they're not optional they're they're commands that we're just to obey And we know most of all that your word is the source of life. Incorruptible seed that brings forth life. Spiritual life. I ask you that in these next few minutes... that you would help us all to be focused on your word and your will. That we would allow ourselves to be the clay in your hands. That we would not allow the evil one and his workers to in any way hinder what you want to do here this morning. We're in a battle, we're in a war. And I ask you to protect us. If it would please you, put that, that hedge of protection around this place, your holy angels, to ward off any efforts from the enemy. 
and help me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. To say what he would want said. And we trust you for for the results. Have your way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many folks in this room could say this morning, Preacher, I would just like to be a failure for God. Of course not. I'm certainly glad nobody raised their hand. However, I want you to understand something this morning. Unless we're willing to make some decisions in our life, unless we're willing to make some needed changes in our life, we may well ultimately end up being a failure for God. Now, if you're saved, you're going to get to heaven. Hmm? The Bible says if you're saved, you're predestinated. That means your destination is already determined. I've used the illustration, if you got to get on an airplane that's going to Los Angeles, I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm predestinated. Now, how I behave on that airplane is another story. So we're going to get to heaven. But when you get there and you look the Lord in the eyes, do you want to feel like you had been successful for him? Or do you want to feel like you were a failure for him? We read this text. And Jesus is having, well, he's really speaking to his disciples and he zeroes in on, he calls him, this is interesting, he calls him Simon, Simon. And then later he calls him Peter. There's significance there I don't have time to go into. But he's dealing with Peter. And Jesus warns Peter that Satan has his sights set on him. That's interesting that Jesus knows what Satan is doing. Satan don't always know what Jesus is doing. Hello? But he knows Satan has, has zeroed in on Peter. Put a big bullseye, if you will. Painted on him. He's a target. And Jesus is here warning Peter about a very real danger. And about the fact that Peter could possibly lose this battle with Satan. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. 
But then notice the reply. Verse 33, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Here Peter is responding to Jesus' warning. And he says, Lord, you can count on me. Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what happens. Why, I'll go to jail for you if necessary. I'll take beatings for you or I'll even give up my life for you. My, my, my. Doesn't that sound determined and noble? If that's, if that's all we knew, we say, boy, that, that Peter's going to stand. I mean, he's just, he's just made the decision, even if it costs him his life. Sounds to me like Jesus need never worry about Peter backsliding, falling away, and failing him. And you know, as I read those words, I believe Peter was as sincere as he could be. I don't believe Peter thought for a minute that it could happen, that he, he didn't think he was vulnerable. But you know, Peter was more than vulnerable. Jesus was warning him he was being stopped. I say. And as I read this, I, I see a mistake that Peter made. And by the way, I am not criticizing Peter. We make many of the same mistakes he did. But I think he was making a mistake here of underestimating the fierceness of Satan's coming attack underestimating the enemy and overestimating his own personal courage and commitment. Peter had no idea how greatly he was about to fail the Lord. And we know as we read on, just as Christ predicted that before that night was over, Peter had indeed denied his Savior three times. He didn't plan on doing it. He never intended to do so. He didn't want to do it. But he did. And I think this morning we all have to realize that if Satan could so influence Peter who loved Christ and was willing to die for Christ, if Satan could so influence him to deny that he even knew him, to fail Christ so miserably, we have to understand we certainly are in danger as well.
Warning! Satan is constantly working to sift us. To overtake us. To trip us up. Cause us to be failures for Christ. This morning I want to sound the alarm. I want to ring the danger bell. I want to warn of the danger believers are in. We're going to look at Peter. And we're going to see five things he did that actually led him to fill the Lord. And we can see how we need to be careful to avoid those same steps. That we can avoid being a failure for the Lord. The first thing I want you to see is we need to learn to rely upon God. You say, well, that's very basic. It is. But the fact is we fail so often in this thing. Just like Peter did. We get full of self. And we find ourselves relying on what we can do, what we think, instead of relying on Him. All who will live a victorious Christian life must come to the realization that God is our source of power, our source of strength, our source of enabling. The fact is, we cannot overcome sin. We cannot overcome the world. We cannot overcome the flesh. We cannot overcome the devil in our own power. We must learn to rely on the power of God. You see, I believe Peter was relying on himself. These statements he made, and I made myself a little note, Peter had an eye problem. What do you mean? He says, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. I. That's an eye problem. He didn't say, with your strength, with your help, We're in a spiritual war that can only be fought and only be won in spiritual power. Oh, many days I say, Lord, I'm in a spiritual war here. I need you. This, this is not a flesh and blood battle. This is spiritual and it's going to take spiritual power to win. You know, we're not going to go there, but in John 18.10, when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. Well, that was very noble of Peter. He was trying to protect Jesus. But he was doing it in his own power. He was using his own might, his own capabilities. He was using the strength of the flesh. Jesus told him, put up thy sword. You see, as we read about Peter, and again, I'm not criticizing him. Listen, I believe Peter is an example to us. He's an example to us of what we really were and what we can become. Peter, before this failure and his getting right with God and things, was impetuous, prideful. Hmm? That's the impression I get. Peter, Peter felt himself to be a pretty, pretty good fighter and strong guy and smart and all these things. And he, he no doubt was. But you can't do the work of the Lord in flesh. You got to have the power of God. When Jesus said, Satan wants to sift thee. Oh no. <laughs> never me, Lord. I will never forsake you. I will never turn on you. My wife and I have this thing we've learned or we say, never say never. Hmm? I remember when I was looking for a Bible college, God had brought a college in Wisconsin to our attention and we had visited out there and uh, it was a nice town, it wasn't a big city and nice setting and it was a good school and everything and and uh, my wife had a concern about cold. She don't like cold. But I said, if that's God, where God wants us, that's where we got to go. I love it. I love it. I don't, I don't like heat. So we were talking about Bible college and looking, and she said, well, what about Florida? And dummy said, I'll never go to Florida. I was there once and I don't want to go back. Guess where we went? Never say never. And don't ever say, I will never do that. Don't make that brag. When you do, you become a target. Don't ever forget, we're just sinners saved by grace, and we're capable of any sin. Nobody agrees with that idea. We are capable of any sin. We see the unsaved out there doing things, wicked things, we say, I'll never do that. Hey, be careful. 
Peter, I'm sure, thought I would never, ever, ever turn on the Lord. And look what happened. Peter, you see, Peter's desires were right. They were appropriate. But he was counting on his own abilities and his own strength. And we find ourselves too often doing the same thing. We must learn our dependency is on the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Get the picture. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you cut that branch off from the vine, that branch is going to die. It's going to do nothing. As long as the branch is plugged into the vine, it receives strength and enabling and all to produce fruit. The branch depends on the vine. We're the branches. If we're going to be victorious as Christians... We need to realize our success, our victory cannot be achieved in our own power. He's our source of power. Power over sin. Power to win souls. Power to be conformed to his image. These are all things we we need to do, but we can't do it in ourselves. He's our provision. He promises He'll supply our needs. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We read about the Israelites, and they relied on Him for 40 years. And He provided for them. And the Bible says how He made their shoes to last and their clothes to last. And he fed them every day for 40 years. They could have never done that themselves. I thought about this. I believe Peter had good intentions. Would you agree? Good intentions, good desires are not enough. We have to have the power of God. Watch this. Preacher preaches on going soul winning. I was teaching in Sunday school about soul winning. So Thursday night, 6.30 comes, and you say, oh, I'm going to go soul winning. Preacher said, I need to go. So you show up, and you go soul winning. Nothing happened. Well, what did you expect to happen? Did you seek God? Did you seek His power? Did you seek His provision? Did you seek His face? Did you go in the power of the Holy Spirit? You had good intentions. But you left one thing out of the equation. I need the power of God. 
I can go, I can knock on the door, I can talk to people, but I can't get to their heart. He's our source of power. He's our source of provision. You know, God wants, listen, God wants us to come to the place where we're no longer trusting our employer. Hmm? I remember working in that factory and you know, they were my paycheck. And then I got saved. And God began to work on me and, and I came to the realization I work for this company because God has me here. And I'll be honest, I, many times I prayed to God to get me out of there. But He always came back with, I have you there. I need salt. I need light. And I realized though they give me a paycheck every week, I don't depend on them. I depend on Him. He wants us to quit depending on the government. A lot of the reason we're in such a mess right now is so many people in America are depending on the government. They want the government to be their, their cow. That they can just attach themselves to the other government and everything's provided. They want everything free. Boy, especially this younger generation. We want free childcare. We want free college tuition. We want free food. We want free uh, automobiles. We want free phones. We want. I'm sorry, that's not the America I grew up in. I grew up in America where if you wanted something, get your butt out there and work for it. Earn it. You know what I found out? When you earn it, you respect it. You appreciate it. You go places today. We went out to a restaurant when my son Arthur was here. It was our grandson's birthday. We went to a restaurant on a Friday evening at 6 o'clock. We walked in. We have a favorite waitress there. She came over. She said, we're closed. What? 6 o'clock Friday evening and a restaurant's closed? <laughs> she said, yeah. None of our cooks came to work. That's the attitude all over. People can't get people to work. We've created that. Government keeps sending out money. Giving people money for not working. Hey, when are they going to figure out it's human nature? If you're going to pay somebody not to work, they're not going to work. Duh. 
I got to get away from it. We need, we need to trust the Lord, not our employer, not government, not parents, not a paycheck, not a rich uncle. Him. Isaiah, Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. God makes us able to endure all things. He makes us able to withstand the attacks. He gives us strength to go on. We need to learn to rely on God. And then we need, whoop, wrong direction, preacher, to stay nigh to God. These two go together. If you're going to rely on God, you've got to stay close to God. Hmm? James says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse you, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, this is a mistake Peter made. He got away from Jesus. In verse 54, It's talking about now they've arrested Jesus. They put him on trial. He's betrayed by Judas and all. And it says, then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Uh, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to be put on trial to high priests. And Peter allows the circumstances to draw him away. Watch this. Peter followed afar. Hey, he didn't stop following Jesus. He just followed him from a distance. He drifted away. Reminds me so much of many Christians. They haven't stopped following Jesus. They still come to church. They still pray. Maybe they even put in their tithes. But they're not close. There's a distance. And God didn't put it there. You've probably heard the story of the older couple riding down the road. Ma's over there. Pa's over here. And Ma looks over and she says, Honey, why is it nowadays 
We don't sit together in the car like we used to, you know. And, and we were like that one-headed driver people talk about, you know, when you look from behind. And we were really close. And old Paul, he just, he said, I haven't moved. You get me? God hadn't moved. He's right where he's always been. He's right where you found him. Where are you? You've drifted a little. You're still following, but it's not like it used to be. There's distance now. We're just not as close as we used to be. James is dealing with that. He says, you need to draw nigh to God. Get back up close to Him. Too often we allow circumstances to create distance. And you know, Peter paid an awful price for getting away. In Psalm 73 and verse 28, the psalmist said, it is good for me to draw nigh to God. Too often we let the circumstances of life pull us away. We're still His children, but now we're distant children. Heartaches, hardships, hurts, disappointments, whatever. Come along and pretty soon we find ourselves focusing on them and not on Him. And they draw us away like it did Peter. He let the circumstances create distance between Him and the Lord. We shouldn't let circumstances draw us away. We shouldn't let sin draw us away. We shouldn't allow our situations. You know, I thought about this. Sometimes believers will be going on fine. All of a sudden, a new situation comes a new job, a new promotion, a new shift at work a new neighborhood, a new social group, new friends, a new hobby, and all of a sudden, there's a distance. God's not as important as He used to be. It's quiet. I better move to number three. Avoid fellowship. With the world. Verse 55. Peter had followed afar off, and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, 
and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Here's Jesus being put on trial. One of the other disciples, we believe it was John, went in and was, was trying to support Jesus and be with Jesus. Peter, he falls far off. And now it's cold. Somebody builds a fire. And a bunch of the world and the enemies gather around this fire. And here comes Peter. And he joins right with them. And he seeks to blend in with them. How do you know that? Well, he says, verse 56, but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him and he denied him. Saying, woman, I know him not. He wanted to be accepted by the world. He wanted to become the friend of the world. He joined the worldly crowd. And it sounds to me like he became comfortable with the world and their crowd. I don't see here where Peter fell out of place. I don't believe he was feeling any conviction. It sounds to me like he's okay hanging around with these unsaved people. He sought their acceptance. Why did he do that? Because the peer pressure the world put on him. And we face the same thing. We are pressured by the world to conform to them. They make fun of us. They ridicule us. They call us names. They mock us. Many times, they ostracize us. Trying to make us compromise and become like them. And it's sad to say, far too many Christians surrender. We need to forsake that worldly crowd. Who we hang around with is important. God's word warns us about hanging around with the wrong folks. Proverbs 13.30 He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Romans 12 verse 2 And be not conformed to this world. James 4.4 4, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoa! I hope you get that. 
If you're a friend of the world, if you're trying to be like the world and be accepted by the world, you are the enemy of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. One of my favorites, Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? The only way you can walk with the world is to be in agreement with them. I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot about this world I don't agree with. We were eating in a restaurant and just recently, I couldn't believe this. A man, his wife, they were maybe 30-ish, around in that area, 32, uh, and they had a baby. And when he sat down, I saw he had a shirt on that said this. Abortion saves lives. I wanted to go rip that shirt off his back. It bothered me. I thought, how, how in the world can a, a sane person think that way? That abortion said, no, abortion murders. I don't agree with that. And we don't have time to go with all I don't agree with in the world. And fellowship with the world is going to draw us into sin. Evil communications corrupts good manners. You hang around with the wrong people, you're going to get like them. I said we're willing to compromise. You know, when you hang around the world, it dulls your convictions. Hmm? When I worked at that can company, People had a foul mouth. And I had to put up with it. It bugged me. But I had to put up with it. That was the work atmosphere. And I'll confess this, and I found that it kind of dulled my senses about it. When I was outside and somebody used that same language, I wasn't as shocked as I might be now. I got used to it. And we get that way when we hang around things we shouldn't be hanging around. We get used to it. How many of you know the, the, the concept of the frog in the kettle? Hold your hand up. The concept is, if you take a frog and put him in cold water in a pot, put him on the stove, he'll stay in the cold water. And then you turn the, the heat on a little bit at a time, and as the water gets warmer, he adjusts to it. 
And you keep turning the heat up and pretty soon he's cooked. Because he got used to it. When we hang around with the world, it dulls our senses. When we, when we allow the TV shows with all the cussing, it makes us insensitive to it. When we see all the sexual sin and things, we become insensitive to it. Well, everybody's doing that, right? No, 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 no. Eventually, the world wants us to imitate it. The next one is... Oh, go the other way, preacher. Oh, there it is. Always acknowledge our Savior. I'm going to hurry a little bit, but in Romans 10 it says, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Peter denied Jesus three different times. Verse 52, verse 58, verse 60. I'm sorry, verse 56, 58, 60. Three times. It's amazing that this man who just said he would go to jail, he would die for Jesus, now says, I don't even know him. And you know, he went a little further. He even cussed. He used the language of the world to convince them. He didn't know Jesus. He refused to admit it. He cursed, Mark 14, verse 7. I wrote a little note. He acted like a heathen to gain the acceptance of the heathen. Say that again, preacher. I think I will. He acted like the heathen to gain the acceptance of the heathen. Like a lot of Christians do. Oh yeah, I'll go there with them. That way they'll like me. Oh yeah, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll wear this, I'll wear that, I'll say this, I'll say that. So they'll like me. Listen, as believers, we need to always be ready and willing to be identified with Jesus. Never ashamed. And we ought to always be ready to tell other people about Him. I've said before, I hope you understand, the world hates that name. That wonderful name. That beautiful name. That saving name. I've mentioned, and I hope you observe it, how if you talk about God, they're okay. The Muslim don't care if you talk about God. Just you're talking about a different God, but to him you're talking about Allah. The religionists, the Catholics, the Lutherans, whatever, none of them, even the unsaved don't, don't much care if you talk about God. But when you start talking about Jesus Christ, 
Oh, then the wrath comes. Because now you've narrowed it down. We need to tell others about him and not be ashamed. The people we encounter at the store and at the gas station and our friends and our neighbors. Well, if I say something about Jesus, they're going to think I'm a fanatic. What would you rather be a fanatic for? Would you rather be a fanatic for the eagles? You'd rather be a fanatic for, for something else? I don't think there's anything better to be fanatic about than Jesus. People go to a ball game, you know, they're an Eagles fan. They'll go to any extent to identify as an Eagles fan. I see those nuts down there, middle of December, and, and they've got no shirt on, they painted their body green and white, you know. And, they're not ashamed. We should never be ashamed of our Savior. And then finally, we need to repent and change. You know, that's what Peter did. The Bible says, Peter wept. Verse 60, the third time, Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he had spake the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. I cannot imagine. Jesus had told him he was going to do this. And he said he would never do it. And the third time, and that rooster crowed. And Jesus looked him eyeball to eyeball. And you know, apparently Jesus didn't say anything, but I don't think he had to say anything. How many of you have ever had the look from your parents? Married men, how many of you have had the look from your wife? Don't have to say a word. Jesus looked at Peter. And look what he said. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said unto him before the cock, oh, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Repent and change. When Peter realized what he had done, he repented. He wept over it. And as we read on about Peter, we learn he turned. He changed. 
He learned about he has to trust in Jesus. He can't depend on himself. He needs the power of God. After Jesus is resurrected, three days, he tells the women to go tell the disciples and Peter. What's the point? Jesus knew about the repentance of Peter and the sorrow of Peter over his sin. And he wanted Peter to know he had forgiven him. And he had welcomed him back into the fold, so to speak. And then we read on in Acts and we find out how God used Peter. Preached on Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. This is a man who had denied Christ. Preached a couple weeks later, 5,000 got saved. That's 8,000 people getting saved in just a, a short period of time. Man, I rejoice when one gets saved. What made the difference? I think it's right there when it says Peter wept. I think Peter realized I turned on the Lord and I went to the world and I drifted and I'm not close to Him like I need to be. And he got right about it. How is it with you? I said, warning. What Jesus did for Peter, warning, there's danger ahead. And I'm telling you, there's danger ahead. How are you going to end up? You going to be like Peter? Fail the Lord? Follow afar off, fellowship with the world. Deny you even know him. Are you going to seek his power and stay close to him and depend on him and repent when you've sinned? Don't just think it's not a big deal. Well, everybody has faults, you know. Nobody's perfect. That's why God sent a Savior. That's why Jesus shed His blood so we could have forgiveness. Too many Christians are content to stay at a distance, to stay in the world, to depend on their own abilities. No, no. That's a dangerous place. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. This is a warning. 
Because I believe the enemy's after all of us. He wants to sift us as wheat. He wants us, he wants to cause us to fail the Lord. And he uses these kinds of things. Do we become enamored with our own abilities and strengths and quit depending on God and depend on us? We let distance come between us and the Lord. We're not close anymore like we used to be. We snuggle up to the world. We want acceptance. We don't want to be viewed as weird and fanatics. And so we snuggle up with the world. We, we, we take on some of their ways and their ideas and, and, and even compromise some things we believe so they'll accept us. We sin and don't repent. We keep repeating the same sin. Oh, warning, warning, warning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask this general question. Did God speak to you today about some area of your life? Is there something that needs to change. And God put his finger on it. If so, would you just lift your hand? You know I won't call your name. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, hands are going up. God put his finger on something in my life. Maybe I've been dependent on me too much. Maybe I've let distance come between me and him. Maybe I've let the world creep into my life. I've taken on some attributes and things of the world that I need to jettison. Maybe I have sin in my life and I've not confessed it repented of it, turned from it. Today, God's speaking to me. Anybody else? Hands are up. Hands are up. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Is there anybody here who says, Preacher, I've never been saved. I know I need to be saved. God knows I need to be saved. I want somebody to take the Bible today and show me how to be saved. Here's my hand. Anyone at all? Let's stand together. 131. Jesus paid it all. He did. He will forgive any sin. He will help us wherever we need help. If we just come to Him. We're going to sing, will you come?
Will you come? Jesus paid it all. God hadn't moved. If you're not nigh to him, it's not his fault. If you'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. Father, thank you for our time in the church house. I pray that you would help us to consider what we've seen in the Bible and that we not deny our Lord, that we not be failures in our Christian life. You said we are more than conquerors. You said we could have victory. But Lord, we have to, we have to, Fight the battle. Bless us as we go. Bring us back together again tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.